Comments made on the Ceratoc Podcast Network are those of the individuals and do not represent Ceratoc Corporation, its staff, management, board of directors, or third-party resellers. Hey, this is Bill. Welcome to uh, this week's episode of Real World Fitness. Hope everybody had an awesome Halloween and uh, enjoyed the extra hour of sleep that you got over the weekend. God knows we needed it around here. Up at four in the morning every day gets old and never get quite enough sleep. My guest this week is a really cool guy taking things to a very different direction. We talk about nutrition, we talk about exercise, and we don't talk too much about the mental side of things. We do occasionally, but this fellow, his name is Logan Christopher, has uh, become a certified hypnotherapist. He's studied neuro-linguistic programming, and he's considered one of the foremost authorities in the fitness industry on the mental aspects of strength and conditioning training. He recently released a book called Mental Muscle that's getting a a really, really positive response from uh, all the reviewers and so on. I've read, I'm about halfway through it, and it's a really good book. Now, those of you that aren't into serious training, or training at all for that matter, and just enjoy listening to the show, still can get a lot of benefit out of this book because the techniques and drills that he outlines in the book are applicable to anything in your life, whether it be wanting to get stronger, wanting to improve your performance in a sport, wanting to improve your performance in your chess game or in your work, or just be more focused in life. And it's a really great book, and we're going to get to that interview with Logan in just a second. Got to put in a quick plug for audiblepodcast.com slash Saratalk. You guys know the drill. Sign up for the free trial. Select one download of your choice. Any download on the site. There are thousands of them. And uh, enjoy. That's audiblepodcast.com slash Saratalk. And now let's get to that interview. My guest this week, the author of the new bestseller, Mental Muscle, Logan Christopher. Thanks so much for taking some time with me today, Logan. Uh, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to talk about it. Well, you should be. It's a very cool book. I mean, there's thousands of health and fitness and exercise and strength training books out there, but there aren't too many about what you did with this book. It's a really cool book. Yeah, that's why I wrote it, because the lack of information out there when I started trying to study the subject, I mean, there's there's a few old sports psychology books, but it seems like the best information was from around the 70s and from Soviet Russia, so I felt it was time to you know put something new out there that could help people in this very important aspect of strength training and fitness that is... I, I mean, it kind of guides everything that is done, the, the mind guides everything, yet... There's so little focus on it, and I feel that's a shame. <laughs> well, it, it definitely is because, uh, well, they used to always say, I can't remember who it was. I think it might have been Frank Zane used to always say, the, mus- the, the brain is the strongest muscle in your body. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, and th- there's a whole lot of uh, different quotes out there from different people in athletics. They say, like, the game is 90% uh, mental. Uh, there's some quotes from people in strength training. Like everyone talks about that, but there's 
so little on how to actually do it. Uh, I'm a very sort of detail process oriented guy. I want step by step instructions on something, not just, oh, you need to believe in yourself because most people don't know how to actually do that. But there are actual ways in which you can change your belief step by step processes that can help people with that so that in the end you can get much better results with, you know, strength training or whatever else that you're trying to do. Yeah, I see. And that's the key to everybody out there who's listening. If you're not really into the type of training that Logan's into or that I'm into, this is material that is applicable to everything in your life, whatever your sport is or your workplace. You know, it's applicable stuff to help you to focus better, to visualize, to to get your mind into what you need to achieve. So it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's not just for those of you out there that want to lift a thousand pounds or want to juggle kettlebells. It's for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, that, that's kind of uh, a thing for me. I've, I've kind of, I want every area of my life to be optimal. I realize, you know, I can never achieve perfection, but I can certainly aim in that direction. Uh, so, you know, I want the best relationships. I want to have, you know, good financial situation. I want to be really strong. I want to be really healthy and if there's one thing that is in common with all the different areas of your life that you could possibly want to be better in, it's that how you think about those areas, how you use your brain, how you use your mind is going to govern basically the results you're going to get in those areas. There's, there's no question about that because you can go into the same situation with a good outlook versus a bad outlook, believing you can do it, believing you can't do it. And that's, that's the game changer. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. The belief is such a huge part. And I could share a couple of different stories on that, just where uh, the belief got shifted a little bit. And all of a sudden I was able to do things that I previously couldn't or uh, just actually double or triple the reps I could do. Uh, One example I like to talk about was I was working on freestanding handstand pushups, which is a pretty difficult exercise, both strength wise and skill wise. Um, it's actually not a lot of people know this if they're familiar with bodyweight exercise, but when you cook up against the wall doing a handstand push-up, uh, there's definitely a good degree of strength involved in that, but it actually takes even more strength when you're freestanding on top of the balance you have to do. Well, I, I was working on the skill and I was never able to do more than a single rep at a time. Uh, because it's pretty tough exercise and it took quite a while working on sort of the base level skills just to get to that point. But I realized one day as I was training on the skill, because I had a goal to be able to do five or more reps that I had the belief that doing handstand pushups was hard to do, uh, which of course in my experience, it certainly was that, but I realized this belief was in place and I don't necessarily look at beliefs for whether for whether they are true or not, but rather how useful are they? Uh, so I did a little bit of uh, process and kind of actually just becoming consciously aware that I had that belief in place started to soften it a little bit, but I did a little bit of a process. Then I kicked up into a handstand and I was able to do two reps immediately. So I went from one to two. Then I was like, okay, feeling pretty good. I kicked up again and then I was able to do a triple. So whereas for the past couple of weeks working on the skill, I'd been stuck at a single rep immediately after changing the belief or softening the belief that I had about these handstand pushups, I was able to do three times as many reps as before. And in the coming month with more training, I surpassed the goal I wanted to hit and I was able to do six freestanding handstand pushups. 
I can't even fathom doing that because it's it's an incredibly <laughs> difficult movement. And yeah, but yeah, you you didn't get that much stronger as much as you convinced yourself it was doable. Yeah, it was a mental block that was in place there, and that that's a thing with mental training. Kind of a thing I like to point out is if there is a mental block, and we can get these in any sort of exercise. You know, it doesn't need to be freestanding handstand push-ups, but, you know, having a certain amount of weight on the bar, anything like this, these mental blocks can really stop us. And once those are dealt with, it's actually really quite easy to see these huge gains, these huge jumps and gains in a moment like that. Then there are times when we don't necessarily have a mental block, but still using uh, similar sort of mental tactics and techniques, you can often accelerate the gains that you have. But yeah, really where the uh, mental block is in place, it can be like night and day difference. Well, I'm going to throw my own story in there because I specialized on military presses about three years ago when I started strength training after doing bodybuilding forever. And I could not press 135, could not get the Olympic mm-hmm. bar with a big plate on it. I could get five reps with 130. I could not <laughs> move 135. And I found some one-pound plates. Now, one day I did 130 for a couple reps. I did 132 for a couple reps. And I went, 135 doesn't exist. And I put 137 on the bar. And I got a triple. Mm-hmm. And to yep. this day, when I'm warming up, when I'm working up to whatever weight I'm going to use, I can't, I, I, I'm afraid of 135. So I'll go, you know, 125. Then I'll go to 137 or 140. I just, I, I still have that mental block, but I just go around it. <laughs> I mean, that's a great thing. There, There's so many different ways you can work on things like mental blocks or mental training. There's uh, really a wide variety of applications. I mean, most people tend to think in just a couple of categories, and we can certainly talk about those. But uh, that reminded me of example. I know you had uh, Brooks Cubic on recently. And in one of his books, he talks about uh, basically a guy had a mental block around, I think it was 300 pounds uh, oftentimes. So for you having those big wheels on there, that sort of created the mental block uh, exactly. for other people having that, that round number, like the 100, whatever it happens to be, 300 in this case, uh, that can create the mental block. So uh, he's training with his coach or his trainer in that example, and uh, he, he's working up, just warming up to do it. And then all of a sudden he says, oh, you already hit it, you're done. He actually had uh, fake weight plates, plates that said one thing, but actually weighed a bunch more so not knowing thinking he was still warming up he was able to do it and that way get around the mental block that was there Mm -hmm. you got to play tricks play games on your mind yeah yeah brooks is a great guest brooks has been on a couple times and um he's actually the person that got me re-excited about training about three years ago when i was very very bored and just doing the conditioning fitness all right i'm 55 years old i guess i shouldn't train heavy anymore it's boring you know (laughs) but Mm-hmm. So I owe Brooks a lot, and I constantly will publicly say, thank you, Brooks. I appreciate it. You got me going again. I want to talk about your training and some of the stuff that you've done. And we'll get back to the book, but I mean, some of the stuff you've done is is really impressive, and it's not stuff that the average person would even think about doing. I know the first mm-hmm. one everyone goes to is the fire truck, the pulling. All right, how the yep. heck do you pull something <laughs> with your hair? Do you have like long hair? I do have long hair. Yes, that's kind of a requirement for that stunt. Yeah, and I would assume what is what is your heritage? What is your genetic background? Uh German and then American. I mean, if you go further back, uh definitely different areas of 
uh, Europe. I'm actually just uh, put in a DNA test with Ancestry, so later on I'll be able to give you a more accurate answer, but basically European descent. Okay. All right. Because, you know, I'm thinking how some people have naturally thinner hair or thicker hair. And I'm thinking if I tried to pull anything with my hair, I'd just rip my hair out. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people think that. But generally, I mean, that certainly could be the case when you have all the hair together. And I guess my hair does tend a little bit towards uh, thicker and slightly more oily than other people's hair. But all the hair together, there's quite a lot of hair there. It's, it basically becomes as strong as a rope. So actually breaking the hair isn't so much the concern. Really, you need uh, neck strength and all kinds of other things that get tied into doing a feat such as that. Okay. Just for everyone that doesn't know what we're talking about, you pulled a antique fire truck that weighed how much? 8,800 pounds. Four and a half tons with your hair. Yeah. So kind of the, I'll I'll give you a bit of backstory on that. Uh, As I was really getting started in training and sort of my intro to training was uh, bodybuilding, just going to the commercial gym like everyone else. That was all I was exposed to and really wasn't seeing a lot in the way of results with that or having much fun with it. Uh, but then I found out about body weight exercise and then that in turn kind of led me to kettlebells and that in turn led me to the old time strongman art. People from back the early 1900s and around that era that did Basically, they performed strongman stuff in front of crowds, vaudeville, uh, circuses, that sort of thing. And with that sort of strength, it's, it's more of that demonstration type of strength rather than today with strength, you know, besides just training gym, people, there, there's more of a competitive atmosphere to it. So there's a difference between the like modern strongman, which is competitive, which you can see on ESPN, and the old time strongman, which is more performance based. Uh, what really got me excited about this was I read the biography of the mighty Adam called the spiritual journey of Joseph L. Greenstein. And just something about that book. Like when I read that, I was like, I want to be able to do that. And the mighty Adam himself, he had a long hair and he towed vehicles. In fact, on two separate occasions, he stopped a small aircraft from taking off by his hair. So I was just like, you know, if he could do it, why can't I? Why can't I work up to this? Uh, Because I've always really had this belief that if other people can do certain things, then i should be able to do them too. So one day, me and my friend, we just kind of figured out a rig to put our hair up in a certain way that attached to a vehicle. And we tried towing a small truck. And, you know, down the line, I end up performing at this one strongman event. And I was asked, uh, can you pull this fire truck? And I said, sure, you know, having no actual idea if I could really pull it or not. <laughs> so I did some progressive training with the pulling of vehicles to lead up to that. And yeah, at this event, I pulled the truck probably a distance of 30 to 50 yards, something along those lines. That's that's just amazing. Is that on YouTube or anywhere else where people could see it? That is on YouTube. People search for like strongman hair pulling fire engine or fire truck. They should be able to find it. Or I also on my website, I have a best of page that kind of showcases some of my crazier feats that people like to watch. And that's one of them that's on there. Well, why don't you tell us about some of the others? I'm just, I've, I've heard some of your other <laughs> interviews and I did my research and I went, man, this is some cool stuff. People are going to love this. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's kind of the thing. Like I tell people if I had to uh, run for an hour on a treadmill, I wouldn't want to do any sort of training either, but I, I get to have a lot of fun with my training. So one of my other fairly well-known feats is uh, to take a kettlebell and 
I do what's called kettlebell juggling. It's not the standard juggling where you have three or more implements and you're juggling them between the hands, but with kettlebell juggling, it's generally with just a single weight, though you can do two. Uh, and it's flipping and spinning and twisting the kettlebell, doing it in all sorts of different position. And this is a kettlebell, so it can weigh from, you know, 35 pounds up. You know, I've done some of the basic skills with a 106-pound kettlebell. Uh, but you're just flipping it, spinning it, catching it, throwing it around the body in different styles. Well, one day I get the bright idea that I should light a kettlebell on fire and then do this kettlebell juggling with it. Uh, so... That's exactly what I did. It took a couple attempts, and I was specifically trying to get the over-the-shoulder flip with the kettlebell, uh, but I pulled it off, and it worked out pretty well because it was a big ball of fire. <laughs> okay. Um, well, you live in California, and pharmaceuticals are legal there. So I, see, I think they've affected your mind, man. A <laughs> <laughs> well, hundred-pound ball of fire. The- no, so that was only a lighter kettlebell. That was only 35 pounds, so I, I kept it pretty light. It was made more difficult by the fact that I was wearing welding gloves, and it's harder to see the kettlebell. And once again, I, I don't recommend this sort of thing or the, the hair-pulling vehicles for your normal person. It's just, you know, I had the idea. I was like, okay, what can I do with this? And uh, so I did it. You are the classic example of don't try this at home. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But, you know, of course, the more basic stuff I do encourage people to try, like kettlebell juggling, it's a fun thing to do. Anyone can get started with that if they wish to try. Of course, you know, you do want to be safe as you do in any sort of weightlifting or exercise training, but seems very extreme to people, but it's, it's really not as much so. And I think you can get a lot of benefits out of doing it because it's sort of a chaotic movement. I just can't even grasp doing it. I'll, I'll keep my hands <laughs> on the kettlebell. I'm not tossing it That's up and fine. trying to catch it. Too many broken <laughs> fingers involved. Did you, I know you've done your, your research and you've studied the, the old timers. Did you actually at some point study under or work with Dave Rogers? Do you mean Dennis Rogers? Dennis Rogers, yes. Okay, yes, I did study with Dennis Rogers. So yeah, the, basically the mighty Adam who I was talking about, uh, he mm-hmm. in turn, his, his main sort of protege in the strongman art was Slim the Hammer Man, and Slim the Hammer Man then in turn taught Dennis Rogers, and basically anyone that's doing sort of this old time strongman, this performing strongman thing today, just about everyone has learned from Dennis, because you know, with the internet, and he's sort of spread that knowledge out to quite a few people, and I am one of them, so yes, I, I have trained with Dennis. Well, some of the stuff that he does, like I know he just released a course on bending wrenches or pliers, wrenches. And I think yeah. he did a workshop. Kind of all at, <laughs> yeah. I think he did a workshop or he's going to do a workshop at the Stark Center in in Austin with uh, Terry Todd. He's doing a one-day okay. workshop on on the plier. Or the, yeah, like you said, all kinds of tools. Yeah. Horses, nails, you know, lots of fun stuff. Yeah. I mean, that, well, that right there shows how much the mind is a part of it because you look at a pair of pliers or, like you said, a horseshoe or whatever, that has got to be so much of a mental thing because it's just, I can't imagine maybe one in a million people could master something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, with the bending and uh, like tearing with phone books and decks of cards, 
there is something that's even more of that mental component rather than just lifting something. I mean, uh, same sort of techniques and uh, mental tactics can be applied to everything. But when you're sort of pitting yourself against an object in that way, uh, it, it kind of brings it out even more so than some other things. Uh, it's it's kind of man versus steel. Mm-hmm. For me, out of all the stunts, the two that I've always enjoyed the most were the breaking of a set of handcuffs, and as simple as it probably is for a guy like you, rolling up a frying pan. I've only done that a couple times. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's It's a good feat. That one tends to be a little more expensive than other ones, unless you happen upon like a whole bunch of good frying pans at the flea market. So I haven't actually worked on that one as much as many of the others. Yeah, I guess it would get expensive practicing that one. Yeah, <laughs> that's the thing with feats of strength. When you're kind of destroying the object, it's not just you, you can't use it as many times as a barbell or kettlebell. Not quite the same. At least nails are cheap. <laughs> yeah, nails are cheap. Phone books are generally free, but unfortunately, they seem to be getting rarer and rarer. So, uh, you know, maybe a dying feat just because the phone books aren't going to be there to do it anymore. Well, then you just find some uh, big catalog, uh, not the Sears yeah. catalogs. They don't even produce that anymore. But I get these catalogs in the mail all the time that look like phone books. So, yeah, yeah, there'll there'll always be some stuff to tear, but may not necessarily be phone books for too much longer. Yep. Okay. So you did study with Dennis Rogers, and you're yeah. definitely a a student of the history. Which that was something in an interview I was listening to that I enjoyed. You were talking about. Um, I think you were talking about Saxon and you were talking about, I can never say his name right, Herman Groner, Grovner, Groner, Groner, thank you. Groner, yeah, it's German Gorner. name. <laughs> yeah, very German. G-O with an umlaut R-N-E-R, so yeah, he's he's one of my favorite strongmen. I've, I've, yeah, I've always liked to look to the old-time strongmen, but here are some guys that were doing unbelievable feats of strength. In some cases, uh, feats uh, or records that still stand to this day, and they're doing it in a time where, you know, we didn't have sort of the advanced technique of weightlifting or of course steroids weren't around back then so they're in some ways you know none of this stuff but it was just like the pure and simple uh training that they had eating good quality food and they're like i said able to pull off some stunts that still to this day are quite amazing so i i think they've been a great resource for me to study from and learn from their methods well it seems like they're getting popular again um there's a well, website. I'm doing my part for that. <laughs> yeah, you you definitely are. And there's, you know, Brooks talks about the old timers a lot, and he will harp on the point you just said. Didn't have the advanced techniques, did not have anabolics, did not have food supplements, and it just they just had hard work and, and their courses are somebody's out there re reissuing a lot of their old courses, which I think is great because you have so many gurus in the industry today that are coming up with revolutionary new techniques. Yeah, right. There are no revolutionary right. <laughs> new techniques. Yeah, I like some of that material because they also tend to talk about the mental side of training. Many of them do. Uh, not as much as I went into detail in the book, but it's, it's, it's always in there. So it's, it's kind of fun to try to read between the lines and some of these uh, old-time strongman books and see like, okay, how did they think about what they were doing? And uh, there's definitely some information to be mined in there. Yeah, it's just not flashy and sexy like a, a modern fitness or bodybuilding magazine, so not a lot of people really appreciate it. Yeah. Um, 
How did you get in with Dragon Door to publish the book? I've been involved with Dragon Door, I guess, sort of off and on for a number of years. I first went through their RKC, I think that was back in 2007. Might have been earlier uh, than that. When Pavel was still around. Yeah, so uh, I was involved in that, and definitely kettlebells have been a big part of what I do. And uh, I assisted at a number of RKCs. Uh, then I'd been self-publishing my own books uh, for quite a number of years and with this mental idea because I'd done some different courses on mental training, but I felt this needed to get out to a bigger audience. So I contacted John Duquesne, the head of Dragon Door, and said, hey, would you be interested in this book? Here's sort of my ideas on it. And he said, yes. So I just turned it over to him. And that's how I ended up getting published with them. That's simple enough. Have you noticed yep. um, that they're more receptive to a lot of newer and different things now that uh, Pavel's not part of the picture? Yeah, it definitely has changed the organization to some degree, because, uh, and I, I don't know the full details behind everything that went on there, but it seemed like it was predominantly focused on Pavel while he was there, and now that he has gone on to do other things with Strong First, uh, Dragon Door has really kind of opened up to many more authors and focusing on these different areas. So yeah, I, I do feel it's more of a sort of open organization rather than just focused on this one personality. Which, which definitely benefits everybody because now it gives a lot more opportunity to people like you and the Cavadlos with their bodyweight books and mm -hmm. um, some, some of the other people that would have probably never gotten their chance had Pavel still been the the star of the show, so to speak. Yeah, I believe that is the case. Okay. What what's gonna happen after this book? I mean, where where do you want to see Logan in another year or two? What are your hopes for the book and what are your hopes for your your near immediate future, I guess would be the right word. Well so the the book just got released uh, I guess a little over a week ago, so uh still gonna kinda see how it plays out. Uh, I haven't even seen the sort of final stats from the book launch on that yet. So uh, I'd like to spread this information out to more people. And it, I mean, already I've, I've heard some great results from people, you know, writing in emails telling me like, oh, just using this simple technique, I've hit these different PRs and that sort of thing. So uh, I really see myself trying to carry this information more because I've seen the unbelievable power of mental training. Uh, one, in sort of just guiding everything that you do with like goals and the persistence and how you think about things long-term, but also those sort of more short-term tactics uh, that can immediately increase what people are able to do uh, on pretty much any exercise. I mean, once you know the process, it's actually quite simple to do. It's just outside of the paradigm for most people and people don't know these techniques. But I'd like to carry this to a wider audience um, through this book and through other means like doing this interview here. And I'd, I'd like to see it reach more and more people. Over time, you know, I actually have a lot more material where that came from. So if the book does well, then a sequel is in order and possibly some workshops devoted specifically just to the mental training side of things and really getting these skills into people to a place where they can use them with themselves and their clients. Well, I could definitely see you doing workshops. Isn't, uh, not to promote anyone else because this is really supposed to be about you, but isn't Mike Gillette doing uh, workshops and yeah. his, his 
course that he came out with not too long ago is kind of in the same direction, the mental toughness, mental focus thing. Yeah, I, I know Mike. And yeah, he has some great material as well. And I believe he is doing workshops. So yeah, maybe there's a joint project with us too in the future. Since you brought up the idea of mental toughness, that's something I would like to talk about a little bit. Please. When I, when I say mental training, a lot of people, they think that mental toughness, that that's everything that there is about it. Uh, and there is a time and a place for mental toughness. Obviously, certain exercises at certain times, you definitely want to exercise that mental toughness, which leads to the physical toughness. But that's only one aspect of mental training, of which are many other things that you can do. And they're really what I like to do is actually not be tough. Uh, that may sound a little odd to people, but I want to be able to do these crazy feats of strength and all the things that I do as easy as possible. I don't want to work hard to do them. Once again, there's definitely a time and place for hard work and mental toughness, but the sort of uh, showcase of mastery is not a person that can do something that's incredibly hard, but a person that can do that thing incredibly hard and make it look easy. That's really a further step along the way. So uh, a lot of the mental tactics that I do is actually in the aim of making you able to do more, but do it in an easier manner than before and not relying just on mental toughness. Okay. I think that kind of goes with, I've always had the mindset you know, some people, you know, you have a lousy day, you go into the gym, you take out all your frustration on the weights. That's when I have a bad workout. Mm -hmm. When I have my, I don't get aggressive with the weight. It's, it's almost like meditative to me when I, when I'm mm -hmm. in a good state of mind and I'm happy, you know, the weights are my friends. They're not my enemy. <laughs> yeah. That really sort of speaks to different states and how that can be applied to uh, weightlifting or other forms of training. And different people will prefer one way or another. I wouldn't say either way is right or wrong. Uh, they kind of just have a little bit of differences to them. So different people may be attracted to one or another and a little bit of uh, different applications. Sort of going along with this is the idea of psyching up. A lot of times when people psych up, like they're getting that angry, emotional energy all revved up and then they can focus it on that one weight lift. And once again, there's a time and a place for that. I do do some sort of psych up routine when I'm doing some really heavy weight lifts, especially with like partial exercises, uh, you know, lifting a thousand pounds, just a short range uh, deadlift partial. Uh, psych up in that that exercise works phenomenally well, so summoning that sort of energy can be incredibly great. But there are other exercises where that definitely doesn't help, uh, where you can actually overpsych yourself, and then uh, you're not going to be able to do like the technical uh, expertise that's needed in an exercise. Uh, so you got to be careful of that and realize there's a different thing. And as you were saying, the whole meditative approach overall, I'd say I approach my training in that manner more often than not and it works well for me but it's really just this idea that there are different states uh different mindsets you can apply to accomplishing these different things and ultimately understanding yourself better and what works for you is going to be very important for whatever you're trying to accomplish so what you're saying is certain situations and certain people one way works better than the other and it's just a matter of learning yourself yes and i would say for anyone, you know, it's good to be learn how to apply that, even if you choose not to go in that direction. Ultimately, yeah, the whole sort of 
using anger to fuel your weightlifting, I think it can be good once again in certain circumstances. But if that's all you ever do, I would say that could probably be not the best thing ever, <laughs> just because anger as sort of an emotion, it's meant to flow out the body, but you don't want to be stuck in that or be doing it all the time. So once again, certain applications, but yeah, overall, I, I do like this more meditative, happy approach. I'm having fun during my training most of the time rather than being angry. I think overall, it's a better state to be in. Well, it, it seems to me that, and I've probably done this to myself where I've like, you know, walked around and banged my head on the wall and tried to get myself all psyched up. It almost seems like if you overdo it, you're draining some of your energy. And when you actually approach that lift, you've already blown all the energy. Yeah. In uh, some of the sports psychology books, they talk about your arousal level, right? Uh, so for a different exercise, you know, you may want a higher arousal level than for a different one. Like I was saying, those partial exercises, you can go really high on that because there's not a lot of technical detail in it. But if you're doing something like the freestanding handstand push-up I was talking about earlier, you don't want to be like all psyched up and angry because you won't be able to do the skill of that movement. Uh, but even with those more weightlifting type exercises, yeah, there can be a point of over arousal where it's too much. And like you said, you can leak out your energy. Uh, so you're not conserving it. Uh, a good sort of metaphor for this is if you're competing, right? I don't know if you've done competition before, but I, I was doing some strongman competitions a little while ago. So the, the competitive strongman, not the performing strongman I was talking about earlier. And really, what do you do in most competitions, right? You have like one minute of activity where you got to go balls to the wall and then you have you know, two hours of rest before the next event. So really in competition, and it's the same thing in a workout, it's, it's about state management. If you can bring yourself to that peak, that right level of arousal, uh, not too much, not too little for what you're doing in the moment, that's good. Then you need to be able to relax besides that. So yeah, if you're psyching up too much just all throughout your workout, it is going to drain you because you're expending all this energy the whole time rather than being able to summon it at the right moment and then relax it once you're done with it. So uh, a big part of training and big part of the mental training is the state management, being able to go from an aroused state to a relaxed state. And one of the best methods for that is the use of anchors, uh, which can be used in a wide variety of ways, but these can just immediately get you into the state that you need to get into for any exercise. Okay. We're going to definitely get into that now, since you just kind of gave me a nice segue to go into talking about anchors and some of the technique, but I'm listening mm -hmm. to you and I'm thinking, all I can do is I'm listening to what you're talking about and I'm picturing somebody going to that over-aroused state in Olympic lifting and just totally wiping themselves out. I mean, I've seen powerlifters bang their head on the bar before they do a 1,000-pound yep. squat, but I can't see somebody going out there to do a snatch without, you know, that, those are the ones that you do see that meditative, calm... Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and that speaks to another point, the sort of state, sometimes it's displayed very overtly on the outside. Sometimes it can be more internal while you know they look relaxed and calm on the outside but once again it's, it really depends olympic snatch is something very different than a squat just in the technical degree of that exercise so yeah you can more easily over psych yourself for a snatch because there's more of that technical detail uh and 
the state you want for that lift is going to be different than the state you really want for the squat. Uh, really, in uh, my opinion, although there's going to be many similarities, but every different exercise kind of should be approached in a little bit of a different way. And optimally, you'd want a little bit of a different state for each exercise when you're doing it. That makes that makes sense because I definitely have to have a different mindset if I'm doing squats versus if I'm doing presses or if I'm whatever I'm yeah. doing. You got to have your mind in a in a what works for one isn't going to work for the other necessarily. Yeah, yeah, and like I said, there's a lot of similarities, but there there can be differences. So even between a squat and a deadlift, right? Both relatively heavyweight exercises, but there are subtle differences, or maybe not so subtle ones, in how you approach those. Yeah. Okay. Since you mentioned anchors, let's talk a little about anchors and some of the actual techniques involved in doing all the things that you're talking about. Sure. So anchoring is a natural process. It's kind of how our nervous system learns. We basically will associate one thing to another. Uh, Sort of the root story of this comes from Pavlov and his dogs. Now, most people have probably heard of this before, but in case they haven't, uh, Pavlov was, I believe, a Russian scientist, and he was looking at this whole idea of stimulus and response and anchoring, and sometimes other terms are used for triggers and conditioned response, that sort of thing. So what he did was he uh, would be feeding these dogs, right? So he'd bring out the food, the dogs would see the food, they'd begin to salivate. And that's just sort of a natural physiological response in the dogs when they see food, that triggers the saliva to come. So as he was doing this, when they saw the food, he would ring the bell at the same time. And he did this a few different times to the point where the dogs had associated the sound of the ringing of the bell to the food, which would then trigger their salivation. So at one point, Pavlov didn't have the food anymore, but he just rang the bell and the dogs would begin to salivate. So he had conditioned the response of the dogs to the ringing of the bell so that would cause them to salivate. Uh, This same idea does apply in humans and it can be used across the different senses uh, from what we see to what we hear to what we feel. So once again, this is a natural thing that happens across humans and it's something people are actually using whether they're doing it consciously or not when it comes to training. Uh, Just think about how you approach a bar for a specific exercise. Do you do that in some haphazard way or do you have like a specific way you approach that bar and get underneath it on a squat or get your hands set in it? Uh, That's kind of a natural anchoring process that's going to take place that puts you into that state that you want for that exercise. So that being said, if we look at it consciously, we can begin to make this process work a little bit better, a little bit more smoothly, and make sure that we're getting into the right state we need for the exercise. Okay. Let's do a very, very watered down, how would you coach somebody to to do that? Just not all the details, but just a kind of a, a taste, so to speak, of what's in the book. How would you, you know... How would you coach me to get my uh, my new record on my military press? Okay. Uh, so there are a couple different ways you can approach this, but just keeping it a pretty natural means. So let's say we're in the gym and that whole idea of getting to the right state that we talked about before, that applies here. Mm-hmm. So let's say you do want to get really psyched up or even if you don't, but you just kind of figure what's going to be the right level of arousal uh, for you to approach that. Then as you, you, you get into that state and you can 
get into a state by, you know, imagining a pastime when you were in that state. Like, let's say here you imagine a pastime when you uh, set a PR in the same lift and you're going to feel good about that, but it's also going to have access that right state for doing that lift. So you access that from memory. Then you go and approach the, the bar in, this, in a specific way that is going to anchor that state to what you're doing. Uh, you can also do, you can visualize a certain thing and that can become your anchor. You can say a phrase to yourself uh, that is unique and that can become an anchor. You can also do some physical motion besides the actual approach of the bar in some sort of unique way and that can serve as your anchor. Uh, so you repeat this process a couple of times. Uh, oftentimes, if you do it right, it can be done in a single trial, but generally it's, it's a little bit better to do it a few times through so you make sure that that state is anchored to whatever sort of anchor you're using, the visual, the auditory, or the kinesthetic, and then you should be good to go. You're going to be able to access that state at the snap of a fingers or whatever your anchor happens to be as you move forward with the exercise. I hope that makes sense. There's kind of a lot of detail in there. <laughs> Well, see, that's why I wanted you to just kind of like give me the highlight reel to make people go, I think yeah. I know what he's talking about, but I need to buy the book to really get the details. Yeah. Trying to sell some books for you here, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there are other ways you do it. You can do this whole process just within your mind. So even if you're not in the gym and actually doing it in that case, and there are certainly some other more advanced things you can do with anchoring, but really the whole point of anchors for the most part here and what we're trying to do with the gym is to achieve that state that is optimal for whatever lift or exercise you're doing and be able to do it uh, very quickly, basically instantly, uh, just because you have conditioned that response into yourself. To give you an example, when I do deadlifts, I have a specific anchor. I grab my arm and kind of, I call it locked and loaded. It's like uh, racking the barrel of a gun. Like that, and I make the sound with it, and that instantly, like I just did it right now, and I can feel this sort of rush of energy that comes up within my body that gets me ready to lift something heavy off the ground. So having that anchor there immediately puts me into the state I need in order to be able to do a deadlift. And because it's it's quickly brought about, that's the whole great thing about anchors. They're instant, basically, when you do them right. It's going to allow me to deadlift much better than if I did not do this process consciously before. Okay. And all of this is very applicable. We've been talking about strength primarily, but all this is very applicable to fat loss as well. I know your bodybuilding is not really your thing, but you obviously know who Bill Pearl is. Yeah. All right. Well, I did an interview with Bill several months ago, which I'm very proud of because he hasn't done one with anyone in about 10 years. But we were talking about his, his uh, contest prep and he say, he, he told me when I was eating, I was thinking about that protein going into my body to build muscle. And his mental state in his meals helped enhance his ability to burn fat and to build muscle. So all this mm -hmm. stuff in your book is applicable to not just the lifting of heavy weights, but a whole lot of other things in your training, your fitness, your life. Yeah, in the book, I actually cover four different areas, uh, gaining strength, gaining muscle, uh, losing fat, and uh, increasing skills, and kind of some different drills. All, all sort of the, the big ideas of mental training can be applied to these different areas, but I outline some specific drills. Uh, I 
full-heartedly agree with Bill Peril. I think we have much more control of what our body does than uh, we often think about. We have our conscious mind and our subconscious mind doing things like hypnosis or this, this anchoring process. They talk about things like visualization. It's not just about the conscious mind, but it is then going to direct our subconscious, which is in charge of all these different functions of our body from digestion of food to shuttling that protein into the muscles. So absolutely, I believe that by doing the right sort of processes, visualizing, you can get that food to actually better be tailored toward the outcome that you want to have. Uh, I've done some experiments. For the most part, I'm kind of like, I want to stay relatively small and just be as strong as I can be. But, you know, I I have put on muscle from time to time and doing a sort of hypnotic programming that I did every single day. And of course, the right training and the right eating of food, but I was able to put on over 20 pounds in less than a month. I think it was actually closer to 25 pounds just by following this process. And really, once again, that was guided by the mind. Of course, it needed to be backed up by the physical components of it. But I'm one of the classic hard gainer guys, and I went through years where I didn't think I could put on muscle, but it was once I was able to get the right mental training in line with what I was doing, then I was actually able to do that. Okay. 20, 25 pounds in a month, that's more than most people could hope to put on in a year. And of course, that was all natural pharmaceutical free, correct? Yes, absolutely. Okay. I've never never taken pharmaceuticals of that nature. I I take different herbs, but that's a whole other subject. So... (laughs) One of the many things I do. Okay. I want to actually, there was a section, I think it was early on in the book where you're talking about goals and goal setting, mm-hmm. which is which is imperative. You can't just go into the gym and wander around. It's like getting in the car and going for a drive and not knowing where you're going. But there right. are two distinct schools of thought, and I want your opinion on this. I'm going to bring Brooke's name up again, and then I'm going to bring up Dan John's name. Brooke's believes you keep your goals very internalized, don't share them with anyone. And he has his whole process of of trying to achieve a goal. But he says, if you start sharing them with everyone, you're dissipating the energy. Then you get someone mm-hmm. like Dan John, who you know has a handful of training partners and believes in what he calls his intentional community of his support system of the people he trains with and the people he works with and get it out on social media. Let the world know you are shooting for this, uh, for A, their support, B, their accountability. And which way do you think is a better approach? They're both right. Once again, everything, it kind of depends. There's both benefits and drawbacks to each approach. Uh, with Brooks, with keeping it all internal, I think this is very good if you're more of the self-motivated type of person, in which case, yeah, spreading it out there can dissipate the energy, especially, you know, I would say in the in many cases, you don't want to spread it out just publicly because naysayers, even if you're not listening to them, it can still be affecting you because that's getting to the subconscious and that sort of thing. Uh, so, yeah, there can be tremendous sort of motivation just internally by keeping it to yourself and just pursuing it like that. But for other people who are more externally motivated, they may need that public accountability. They need to post it on Facebook so that they are held accountable for it and that they can get support from people around them. So 
here it really is going to depend on the person and you once again you kind of have to understand how you personally run and then find what is going to work best for you for me personally i'm a very sort of self-motivated guy so i generally keep my goals to myself Uh, however there are times when i may break that and share it with one or more people in ways where they specifically can help support me in order to achieve that goal so I say they're both right. There's both sides of this argument have uh, valid benefits to them. So uh, you kind of have to look at what you're doing and who you are in order to decide the best approach. Well, that kind of goes back to our whole big conversation about the meditative versus the big psych up, isn't it? Again, a matter of you got to figure out who you are before any of this is going to work for you. Yeah. I mean, look at how many different training systems there are out there. <laughs> it's There is no one right way to train. Uh, there's no one right way to think about things. In some applications for some people, there certainly are better options and worse options. But in general, most of the stuff out there works. It's about finding what works for you at this time towards the goals you want to achieve. And this applies both in the sort of physical training realm as well as the mental training realm. So it's it's kind of finding, again, and this is something I've thrown out in probably every interview I've ever done. It's, again, finding what you enjoy, what's fun for you. Because if it's fun, it's going to work. If it's not fun, if it's drudgery and tedious, it's it's just not going to work in spite of whoever told you it would work. Right. Yeah, I, I think most things where you have this sort of polarity between two uh, things, there's really, you got to look, there's benefits and drawbacks to each approach. Uh, we could say the same with every training tools, you know, are barbells better than kettlebells or better than bodyweight exercises? You know, they're, they're all good. They have different benefits and drawbacks. So if you kind of use a bunch of different things, you can get the benefits of each while not suffering from the drawbacks. You know, another age old discussion is, is it better to train alone or to have training partners? Once again, there's benefits to each side of this understanding what is going to motivate you best and get you the best results depending on what your goals happen to be one approach may be better than the other and again it depends and sometimes one will work better than the other yeah absolutely and there are ways you can actually learn quite a bit more about this uh one of these sort of my foundations for just about or most of what I wrote in the Mental Muscle book uh, was I've, I've been studying neuro-linguistic programming for years, NLP for short, and uh, it, it, it's a pretty huge field. And one of the things that they talk about there are what are called meta-programs. And it often is these sort of polarity things like, are you more motivated internally versus externally? Are you more driven towards moving towards some goal or away from something you don't want, like being fat or not being able to move? So if you can find out where you lie on these sort of, this sort of spectrum uh, that can help you to know better as far as what you should do. And of course, these do change in different contexts and there are ways you can slightly alter them to some degree, but it comes down to knowing yourself better. Ultimately, if you have that, you'll get better results. Okay. So you've studied, are you, um, I don't even know what certifications, licenses, or whatever there are that apply to NLP, but I'm gathering Mm -hmm. you've done a great deal of studying in both hypnosis and NLP. Um, Are we certified, licensed, credentialed? Yeah, there's uh, no license for NLP, but, uh, and it's kind of a fractured sort of system, uh, pretty complicated. But yeah, I'm certified as an NLP trainer through what I'd say is one of the better organizations that is out there from some of the people I've been around the field since pretty much the beginning. Okay. 
And you've studied hypnosis as well, correct? Yes. Certified in that as well? Yeah. Sort of a more minor certification, but yeah, absolutely. I'd say I've done a lot more with NLP than with hypnosis, but uh, mm-hmm. and with hypnosis, there's all kinds of different styles and methods of doing it, and that kind of went along with the NLP training in many ways because they studied Milton Erickson, who was the father of uh, hypnotherapy and medical hypnosis, and just did some very amazing things working with people. And so he was one of the major models of NLP uh, so that a lot of that got incorporated into there. So since I know very little about it, I'm guessing from what you just said that NLP kind of sprang forth and has its basis in hypnosis? No, not entirely. NLP, one of the ways to describe it is it was sort of a method of modeling what people modeling the success of people. And it started with uh, therapists, uh, two people in particular, uh, Fritz Perls of Gestalt Therapy and uh, Virginia Satir, who did uh, family systems therapy, I believe it was called. So it was kind of looking at not necessarily what are the theories of these people on why it worked, but instead looking at the people and what changed in them in order that they got results. And a little bit after it began, then they modeled Milton Erickson, who uh, used hypnosis as one of his main sort of things and then they modeled what was working with him so uh, hypnosis plays a part of it but it didn't necessarily just come from hypnosis okay kind of hypnosis was one of the forerunners or one of the the places it sprouted from it's 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 beyond that but that's part of it okay yes i want to go back to the four sections in the book where you said you have different drills and different focus, uh, building strength, building muscle, burning fat, and skills. Now, for the people at the very beginning, when I said even if you don't train, this stuff is applicable, the stuff in the skill section, obviously you could use that to enhance your performance in a given sport or in a given activity, even if it's not a physical activity, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, There's definitely some differences between physical skills and more mental skills, like let's say uh, playing chess, but absolutely many of the same principles and uh, techniques you could work with one can be applied to the other. So it could be of benefit to people out there that are still in school and have difficulty focusing to study or difficulty performing certain tasks that are required for their job or for their schooling. Absolutely. I mean, that's really where I sort of took a lot of this information uh, from NLP, for instance, that is applied to a wide variety of things, uh, like in those situations you were just describing, or more specifically with weight loss, with sales, uh, with all kinds of personal issues that people have. And so I took that and kind of applied it to weight training, but really where most of the information that I share in the book, it comes from being applied in these wide other areas. So absolutely, it can definitely be applied to anything that people are trying to achieve. Like I said, at the near the beginning was the whole mental component sort of guides our behavior. So if you can really work on that and help optimize it, then you can more optimally do whatever you're trying to achieve. Okay. All right. Well, let's see. You just said about sales. And that's, I remember hearing about people doing workshops to enhance their ability as a salesperson. So it's a lot of the same techniques, whether that you've taken that were actually created for other purposes and you've applied them to our world, so to speak. Yep. Absolutely. Like what we were talking about with anchors and state management as pertains to weight training. I mean, that applies to sales as well. You got to be in the right sort of state 
in order to sell person and you could use anchors to help do that as well as a bunch of other processes like hypnosis visualization goal setting etc okay i'm trying to think we've talked a little about your background and some of your feats of strength we've talked a lot about the book anything else you'd like to talk about yeah i'll just uh share a little bit on sort of my overall philosophy i kind of see with the strength training there's really three areas to focus on and this same model could be applied to other areas of life but you really have the the mental and i'd say along with that sort of the emotional that as I said before, sort of guide everything. And really, if you can focus on that area, it can help you to do better than others. Then you got to focus on the strength training and the movement just to be good at that, if that's something you want to do. Then really the health component. Uh, you know, a lot of people focus on nutrition and what you eat. Obviously, that's important, but also those other aspects, sleep, uh, good hydration, you know, good lifestyle in general. So really, if you can optimize these three different areas, I, I think you can have an overall pretty optimal life and uh, get great results in whatever you're trying to do. So I really like to focus on those three areas and really bring those up. And then in turn, you know, things are pretty good after that. Okay. Um, I'm, since you just mentioned it, uh, I know you're very into the herbs and I don't really want to get into that cause we could spend another whole hour on that, but yeah. <laughs> what are you, what are your personal new, what's your diet? Like, what are your personal eating habits like? I would say for the most part, I mean, haven't specifically done this, but it's mostly paleo and I'm doing air quotes right now. So I do eat some grains and dairy uh, from time to time, but overall I go for organic, minimally processed food, you know, starting with the best quality food I can from farmers markets and natural places, grass fed beef, that sort of thing. I do a high fat diet. I know my body personally runs really well on fat, so that makes up a good portion of my diet. Then, uh, as you mentioned, I supplement with different herbs that can help me sort of tailor things toward whatever specific goals or outcomes I'm looking for. Okay. Do you use any over-the-counter typical supplements or just the herbs? Yeah, I do. Just some of the basic stuff from time to time. I do fish oil or vitamin D, magnesium, that's probably about it. And sometimes I experiment with some other things, but predominantly besides those, just the herbs. Okay. Yeah, I looked at your uh, your site and I was looking at the herbs and I, okay, some of this looks very interesting. It's very expensive, but it's a whole big process to isolate and produce and um, cricket protein powder. <laughs> yep. Yeah, we have some yeah. uh, very... Odd stuff on the website, stuff that most people haven't heard of. I really like to look to the natural world. In our Western society, we have, you know, rampant chronic disease, all kinds of problems. You know, pharmaceuticals may uh, mask uh, certain problems we have, but then they tend to create other side effects. And then people get on this loop of having a pharmaceutical in order to combat the side effects of a different pharmaceutical that they're on because of a health problem. So there's definitely a lot we can do as far as, you know, being fit, eating healthy, good sleep, good lifestyle, not too much stress, that sort of thing. But we're still kind of bombarded by our environment. Like we have various phytoestrogens and I'm forgetting the blinking on the word, but various chemicals that can disrupt our hormones and all this sort of things in our water supply in plastics that we're inundated with. So I feel most people actually need some 
additional support on top of just eating good quality food uh, because even with good quality food, our uh, soil's depleted of many nutrients and that sort of thing. So that's why I kind of go to the herbs. And one thing that indigenous peoples all across the world pretty much ate was insects. Now, we tend to think of an insect as like, eel gross, you know, you shouldn't eat that. Only poor people or starving people would eat that sort of thing. But it was actually super packed in vitamins and minerals. Yeah. And (laughs) it was a natural part of our diet, along with other things that we tend not to eat anymore, like organ meats, uh, bone broth, that sort of thing, as well as herbs. Herbs always were a natural part of our diet with all the different medicinal compounds. So yeah, cricket powder was just uh, one thing we decided to add in there because a lot of people liked our ant extract. Uh, So yeah, we have some unusual things on there and I encourage people to open their minds and realize that the conventional of anything out there doesn't seem to work too well. So sometimes you got to go outside the box and you'll find there's far greater rewards outside the box. Just don't be afraid to try new things. In this case, old things that have been forgotten. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. That seems to be a theme here. You with the old time strongman and old school nutrition here. I see I see a pattern forming. Yeah. Well, I, I like to look at the latest science, but I also look at the ancient wisdom. I think when you marry the two, you can get the the best of both worlds, kind of like what we we're talking about. There, there's good things with the latest science and Western medicine, like you get into a gnarly accident. You know, I want some good doctors that can save my life. But as far as the chronic disease part, not so good. So going back to these systems of Ayurvedic medicine and traditional Chinese medicine that have been around for thousands of years there's definitely some wisdom there. So when you can marry the two, I think ultimately that's where some true magic can happen. Okay. You know, I'm listening to a lot of things you're saying, and I'm just curious. I haven't seen this in any of the interviews or any of the bio information, but a lot of what you're talking about, one usually equates to people who are into the martial arts. Do you have any background in the martial arts? I have a little bit. I've uh, trained in Kempo Karate uh, with one of... uh, my teachers who actually kind of heavily influenced me in the mental training side of things. So I have some, not not a huge martial arts background, though. I would like to pursue it more in the future because martial arts is fun. Okay, there's a good answer right there, because it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I like to do fun things. Okay, anyone out there that doesn't like to do fun things, there's something <laughs> wrong with you. All right, I'm dealing with a grown man who's a child here. <laughs> I love this. How, how old are you, Logan? I'm 30 years old. Okay. And you've been training for how long? Uh, Seriously training for uh, about 12 years or so. Okay. Very, very cool. A little bit off and on before that. Sure. Yeah. Well, that's what we all did in high school because you're trying to figure out what you want to do. Unless you're like the star athlete in high school, you kind of flounder around for a lot of different things. I played football in high school, but I was uh, never very good. I was like extremely weak and unathletic as a child. It was kind of after high school ended that I started to get serious about strength training and started to see results in what I was doing and grew out of that awkward, scrawny stage I was in for my whole start of life. (laughs) Okay, so you were what they used to call a late bloomer, so to speak. Yeah. Okay. I think we've covered everything I wanted to talk to you about. If there's anything else, well, you know what? Tell people about the website and um, get some free, some really cool free goodies. If you sign up for your weekly or bi-weekly or whenever you get around to sending out an email and you want to just <laughs> give yourself a little plug on that. 
Absolutely. Uh, so you can check out legendarystrength.com. Uh, all kinds of strength training information, the different things we talked about, strongman, kettlebells, barbells, bodyweight exercise, a whole lot of information there. And yeah, if you sign up, you get, I think, five different reports, some on mental training, some on physical training, all kinds of different stuff there. So check it out. Then you'll get emails from me. I, I'm always producing more articles and videos and different things. So uh, there's a lot of good stuff there. If you like what you heard on this and have listened this far, then I highly recommend that. As for the herbs, people can check that out at supermanherbs.com. Same sort of thing. A lot of information on that site to help get people engaged in these herbs and what they are. Because as I said, there's a lot of weird things there. And then check out the new book, Mental Muscle. I'll have it on Legendary Strength shortly, but right now you can pick it up on Dragon Door or over at Amazon. It's there as well. Okay. I will put all, th- all three of those links in the show notes. And uh, like I said, I think I've covered everything that I wanted to cover. We've plugged the book. We've plugged the website. We found a little bit more about you. A final parting comment or thought? I would encourage people to really explore the mind because it is largely unexplored and there's basically tons and tons of untapped potential there. So even if you don't buy my book, explore it yourself. You know, uh, I definitely could provide some shortcuts because (laughs) I went through a long process in studying this, but I I highly encourage you because really, regardless of whether you're using it for strength training or otherwise, uh, that's really what handles everything. And our potential is largely untapped. You got to learn how to tap into it. And through the various mental techniques, that's what's going to allow you to do so. Awesome. I want to thank my guest today, Logan Christopher, author of Mental Muscle. You can see how to order it directly in the show notes. And next week, we are going to have Kelly Sturrett on. And uh, if you look back a few weeks, we had his wife, uh, Juliet, on. We did a long interview with her that took up two shows. And now Kelly's going to get a chance to talk a little bit. We'll have him on next week. You've been listening to Real World Fitness. This is Bill saying thanks for tuning in and have an awesome week. Real World Fitness is a production of the Serotalk Podcast Network in cooperation with CosiabaFitness.com. All questions, comments, and feedback should be submitted to resources at Serotalk.com. If you're listening on a mobile device, use your iBlink radio app to submit an iReport. Promotional consideration paid for by Audible.com. <laughs>